Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey, Amarillo is supported this week by Wick Realty. I'm recording this right now in my house, and that's why I recorded today's interview and last week's interview and most of the episodes of this podcast. We love our house and our neighborhood, and we're here because Wick Realty helped us sell our previous home and buy this one a few years ago. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're in the market for a house, if you're buying or selling, if you're building, even if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout-out to West Texas A&M University and Amarillo Independent School District. You can read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com and be sure to look for our new September-October issue on newsstands very soon. Today's guest is Ricky Johnson. Ricky grew up in Pampa. He lived for a while in Tulia. He spent some time in Amarillo. His family moved around a lot. But by the time he graduated from high school, he knew a couple of things. Number one, he had a really big personality. And then he got a job that involved giving presentations to much older adults, and he was good at it. And those things led him toward a career as an inspirational speaker. So today, Ricky conducts financial literacy seminars and other events targeted at youth and young adults. He grew up, like a lot of people, in a lower-income household, and he struggled not just with having enough money, but also knowing what to do with it when there was money. And so he's still pretty young, but his exposure to good financial decisions gave him a desire to help others so that they could learn good money habits. Here's Ricky Johnson. Ricky Johnson, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk to you and and hear a little bit about who you are and what you do. And I want to start with you the same way that I start with all my guests. And that's just to ask you why you're here. How did you end up in the Amarillo area in the first place? Got you. So I'm actually from Amarillo. I was born in Amarillo, but we grew up about 45 minutes north of here, Pampa, Texas. That's where my mom's from. So I went to grade school at Massa Verde. It was about third and fourth grade. I went a little bit of San Jacinto. Then my grandma, she ended up getting lupus. So we ended up moving to Pampa my fourth grade year where we stayed there all the way into eighth grade. And she passed away fifth grade year. But I would say I grew up in Pampa and then we moved back eighth grade. The second half of eighth grade, I went to Sam Houston for a little bit okay. and different things like that. So I know a lot of people here just because of sports. I was an athlete. But as far as like, I got to give my natives to Pampa, Texas. That's where all my family is from. But after um, eighth grade, I went to Sam Houston and then we ended up moving to Toya, Texas. Right. Okay. So the, the other side of uh, the middle of here in Lubbock. But we moved over there because my stepdad, his mom, had got sick. So my mom, we did a lot of moving around, even in living in Amarillo. So I went to San Jacinto, Massa Verde, uh, Lawndale. And uh, through all that process, I was just wanted to always the last one. I was a dragging in because I, I made friends a lot. So I was like, I don't want to move. We ended up moving to Tulia. Uh, my mom ended up moving back to Amarillo in January. I was supposed to go to Tascosa and I ended up staying in Tulia because I was like, wherever I start high school, I want to stay there. there. Yeah, because I like once you get to like GPAs and credits and stuff like that, it started messing up. And uh, fortunately, I was educated enough to be like top 10% at Sam Houston. So I was like, I'm not really trying to mess up any of my credit. So I ended up staying in Tulia, moved in with one of my friends uh, freshman year. And then I ended up finished up the school year with him. Came back to the summer in Amarillo, and then I ended up moving with another friend back to Toya. 
And I uh, finished out all four years of high school over there. Okay, yeah. so that's a lot of moving. Yeah, a whole kid. lot of moving. All right, so I'm interested in a kid who you know has spent time in Amarillo, and then also you had time in Pampa, and you lived in Tulia. Like those are, it's a big difference between Amarillo and Tulia 100%. for sure. Tell me what that was like. Like, what was what was that small school environment like? Okay. So the thing about small towns, everybody knows, like, everybody knows your business, right? Something happens in the morning time, by noon, everybody knows the business. But it's also, a lot of people don't pay attention to the small town environment. There's a lot of loving. Like, every school that I've went to, I've always been accepted because, number one, being an athlete, but I'm also a very positive person. Everywhere I went, I make a lot of friends. It's, it's super easy for me to make a lot of friends just because I'm a social person. But there's always a lot of support. And that's what really motivated me to start doing what I'm doing because I knew and I acknowledged at a young age that a lot of the reasons that I've made it so far in life was because of the support that I had from small towns, okay. right? So like some of the things that uh, my mom couldn't provide, we had people like some coaches, some teachers, uh, friends, and different things like that. They would provide it because it's such a small community. Everybody knows the known about it. Even the stuff you don't want them to know, they still know about it. So you have a lot of support. So like my teachers in every school that I went to, Tulia, Pampa, I've always connected with them. I really wasn't a math student. But I was always close with all my math teachers. That's one thing that's crazy. But were you a good student? Yeah, I was I a mean, good student. Even yeah. beyond the top ten percent at Sam Houston, like did that continue? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. So I uh, never really got in trouble. But my early on years in like first and second grade, I was troublemaker. Right? Okay. I was. I was bad student. I don't know what it was, but then one day I went home. And I, I got set right. And after that, it went from being a bad student to having like teachers cry. Whenever we moved from Amarillo to Pampa, I have my math teacher. Her name is Tracy Sharp. She's still a teacher. She actually cried because she didn't want me to leave. And I was like, man, so just that type of impact I had. And then moving to Tulia is a smaller school. I've always been in compressed math. So Tulia was a little bit smaller. They only had one advanced class and it was like advanced or regular class. And it was only one teacher who taught it. So I had the same math teacher in Tulia for all four years. So we built up a good bond, right? So by that time I was taking algebra. I took algebra in eighth grade and then I took uh, pre-cal. I'm not a math person. I'm a language person, right? I know money. I know compound interest, different things like that. All the stuff you need to know how to count money. But when it comes to putting numbers with letters Mm -hmm. and different things like that, me and her spent a lot of time together. Like it was a lot of during the uh, practice and stuff. I had to come say after school, do tests and finish things like that. She helped me out a whole lot. We call it. We have a uh, secret. We call it magic math. That's what we call it. <laughs> All right. What sports did you play? So uh, originally, I started playing basketball when I was younger. Um, I had like one seizure when I was younger. My mom really didn't want me to play football. And then she ended up letting me play football. I played flag football here in Amarillo for uh, the Hamlet Tigers, played uh, flag. Then I played tackle. Then we moved to Pampa. I played baseball. I didn't like that. I, I was not. I wasn't a baseball fan. But I ended up putting down the basketball, picking up the football, and I was a running back. So I was actually top 50 in the 806. I had a partial scholarship to go to uh, Oklahoma Panhandle State. But I ended up getting injured my senior year. And uh, so I decided just to go small, start small, got uh, South Plains and just continue there. Before we move on from that, I I just want to hear what it's like playing football in a small town like Tulia. Because I know it's such a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal in Amarillo, of course. Um, But like in a a place like that, like that's what everybody does on the weekend. And so being at at that level uh, in Tulia, what, what was that experience like? 
Uh, it was actually it was very very fun because like I I played freshman or I played varsity all four years because two years small they only have two teams they have JV and they have varsity my freshman year our, half of our JV team they flunked out so I played varsity all a true freshman on varsity all years but it was so fun because the energy they're so communal like booster club we used to have lunches after like every Friday night home games we would have the moms and stuff we would go do a team dinner different things but it was fun you get a lot of support being a small town they just just love to see it. You got a lot of people who see me in the store, like, y'all had a good game last night. And then the back inside of it, hey, y'all gonna get them next time. But it's just a lot of support because everybody knows everybody. So pep rallies and different things, you got a lot of community coming in there, uh, really involved in and different things like that. But you just feel the support because they don't have anything else to do on the weekend. So Friday Night Lights is so big because that's their entertainment. So mm-hmm. it's we go big or go home. But it was a lot of support. So tell me, you, you mentioned South Plains. Tell me what your college experience was like. So uh, my college experience experience i didn't stay on the dorms i was always been a person like sharing rooms with my siblings i've always wanted my own space so for me i wanted to stay in my own apartment i did that and the thing about staying in your own apartment is you're going to struggle in college regardless, right? But going through there, it was a good experience because I chose South Plains because there was a lot of one-on-one, right? The class sizes weren't too big and max size was like 21, but you get a lot of one-on-one. I used to sit in front of every single one of my classes. Um, I forgot who, who told me, but they were like, make sure you sit in the front of the class so that way you can connect with your teachers. Mm-hmm. It worked. I had a lot of good connections. The speech department, they loved me over there. Uh, I actually was awarded the Outstanding Speech Student Award whenever I graduated. But going over there was good because you get a lot of one-on-one connections. They have a lot of resources that a lot of people don't know. But it was uh, it was definitely fun. And then our basketball team was actually highly ranked both years that I went there. Track team was good. They were like winning nationals for 16 years in a row. So the whole experience was pretty fun. I lived in Leveland the first year. Then I ended up moving to Lubbock the next year because I would go to Lubbock Thursday through Saturday. And I was like, man, I'm wasting a lot of gas. I'm only over here yeah. for school. Leveland, it's a smaller town, of course. So there's not really a lot of food restaurants, not a lot of entertainment. So it's like, you're going to spend more money going to Lubbock. So why not just stay there and just commute back and forth? Okay. So my second year of college, I actually commuted uh, Monday through Thursday from Lubbock. Did you graduate? Yes, sir. Yes, okay. sir. Graduated 2018. And um, it was amazing uh, just walking the stage, hearing my name. And I was like, man, it was just so fun just to like do something because my mom, she did CNA, but we never saw her graduate. So it was kind of like that first generation uh, college student. But just to see, I went through so much uh, during my two years, got in a car wreck. And I had to bar like when I moved to Lubbock, I had to get rides back and forth when I was commuted. And it was like that second or my third semester of college it was just like i had to work to really get it so when i got done it was kind of to the point like i'm ready like i'm ready to get to work i'm ready to be done with this but school's always been it came naturally to me but during the college experience i learned how to study like the professors at south plains they really care about their students so i learned the definition of studying i learned study groups and really just like networking with people utilizing resources because they have their computer lab that's open to everybody all the time so i didn't uh i didn't have wi-fi in my apartment so i would stay at the library until they shut to all the lights and stuff yeah. and everything go off but it was a good experience you got to see the sports side of it and you also got to be so close to texas tech that you got to experience a bigger school and different things like that i was a college student so i, I did a little party and things like that but it was definitely fun i enjoyed myself over there what was your degree oh uh, my degree is actually associates of art in speech communication okay. public speaking to be exact i wonder you know since, since you went there and sports was a draw scholarship um did, did you did you have like a career goal at that point or were you just like, I'm going to get a degree and see what happens after that? Or did you know what you wanted to do? So it's crazy because I actually changed my major 
uh, before I even got to college. So I, my freshman year, I wanted to be a mechanic. I was I talked to UTI. I was like, this is what I want to do. Then one of my coaches, he told me he was like, man, your personality is too big for you to be in a garage. He was like, do that like as a hobby or something. I was like, okay. Then we had some motivational speakers coming to our school. They were former NFL players. They were coming up there, ripping up phone books and breaking bats and oh, yeah. things like that, right? So uh, my teacher, she came up to me. She's like, I can see you doing that. And I was like... Breaking bad. I was like, no, I don't, I don't know about all that. And then she said, no, not that part, but like the motivation of speaking. So that kind of planted a seed on me because I always knew that I want to help people. Even with like opening up a mechanic shop, I knew that I would charge lower prices for low income families and different things like that. And then like being an occupational therapist, that was the next thing I changed to. I went to medical camp and I was like, I know I want to help people, but not on this level. Right. So by the time I got to my senior year, I was like, I know I want to be a motivational speaker. It scared me. I was like, I don't know, a hundred percent, like eighth grade. I could barely spell motivational speaker. <laughs> then I get to my senior year, like, I, this is what I want to do. I committed to it. And then uh, when I got to college, it was just like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Because I ended up, after I graduated high school, I ended up working for a network marketing company. So all summer long, all I did was sit in front of 30 to 60-year-olds giving presentations. So okay. I gave over probably 200 presentations, got my phone skills up. So it built up my confidence in uh, like public speaking, talking to people. And then by the time I got to my freshman year, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Did you know that you wanted to end up back in Amarillo? Like, was that part of your plan or did that just happen? That that really happened. Uh, I actually moved back to Amarillo last year. So I've been here, July 4th has been a year, but after I graduated from college, I moved to Colorado for a year and a half. I opened up a district office with the company that I was with. And then uh, I worked there for about a year and a half, finished up about a year and a half in Colorado. Then I ended up going to construction. My mom had got sick and I was, I was working as a manager and I wasn't making a lot of income. So I was like, man, it scared me because I'm like, well, she got sick. I had to borrow money. And so I was like, all my friends were doing the wind turbine industry. It was like a high demand for that. So I was mm -hmm. like, hey, can you get me on? I ended up closing my office. Moved to uh, Iowa with my friend. I started working as a wind turbine and I was like, well, I know what I'm going to do. I had a plan. I'm like, I'm going to save some money. And still, it was always motivational speaking in the background. And I was like, save up some money. And then I go into business for myself. I ended up doing that for two years. And then I went to Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri. I lived in South Texas, or like South Padre from May to November. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready to get back to the motivation speaking. Even during that whole time, I was doing a YouTube. So I actually started my YouTube in 2020. And so whenever I used to get off of work, I would record YouTube videos and different things like that. So always, it was always motivational speaking, but it was like the long road, like get the money okay. first and then start the business and then go like that. And then... When I finished up in South Padre, uh, I was actually dating a girl when we were living in Houston. So I stayed in Houston, ended up, that ended up not working out. So I left Houston, came back in July, and that's how I ended up in Amarillo. But for me, I did a lot of traveling in between 18 and 24. Yeah, you've listed a lot of places. Yeah, and I wasn't even with like the uh, the network marketing company. We went to like high-powered conferences and different things like that. I've been to California, Canada, New York, Chicago, Florida. So And all of those were like different uh, seminars, conferences, teaching you how to speak, teaching you how to sell marketing different stuff so i always knew i would like a bigger city i love houston my dad's family is on that side so i loved houston but it ended up not working out like that so i was like well let me come back to amarillo for a little bit get back on my feet get that foundation set and then go back to houston and then i ended up linking up with my cameraman his name is Kwani anderson and he has his own brand so we linked in locked arms because i had the mentality like you got to move away from your hometown yeah that was like everybody always talks about that but the thing they don't really talk about is like getting established. The reason they say move away from your hometown is because you got to get out your comfort zone. I would agree with that 100% because I've been 
been out of my comfort zone since I was 18, but I also agree it's a mindset thing. I'm big on mindset coaching. So whatever type of mindset that you have is going to determine the results that you get. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm always going to be doing the same thing. I know I want to do motivational speaking because I proved that everywhere I was at, I still focus on motivational speaking. So I have to disagree with people that say you need to move out of your hometown to be successful. Definitely disagree, but I agree with the part of moving out of your hometown to get out of your comfort zone and experience a different type of world. You can travel. You can do that. Even if you travel on the weekend, you still get that exposure because every time that I travel, it's culture shock and you learn a lot about yourself. Right. So you have to get out of that comfortable environment. Like, okay. But you don't necessarily have to move out of your hometown to be successful. So that's one thing I disagree with a lot of people who say that. Yeah. I, I think there's something about having a, a solid foundation that you can grow from. 100%. And, and maybe if you can put yourself in uncomfortable positions, having that comfortable fallback, you know, to support you, whether it's at the beginning or whether you've already become successful, like that, that is something that staying local 100%. can provide for you. And plus, you know, there's, there's so much about what you do, uh, that doesn't always require you to be in somebody's presence. I mean, there's YouTube, there's, yep. you know, zoom communication, all that kind of stuff. 100%. Before we talk too much about that, tell me what you began to understand about Amarillo. I know you grew up here and then you've lived in so many different places, especially recently. Did that help you come back to Amarillo with maybe a different perspective on on this city? A hundred percent. So like being uh, fortunate to live in different cities, I learned like there's cities who are so helpful. They have resources, right? And they make it known that they have resources. And coming back to Amarillo, what I learned is like we have those same resources, but not everybody knows about those resources. When I lived in Iowa, I was actually fortunate enough to learn about like small business development centers. So when I came back to Amarillo, that's the first thing I did. Do they have small development centers? Do they have nonprofit places that you can get stuff started? And they do. There's a lot of places where you can help uh, new entrepreneurs, business owners, different things like that. So being in different spots, it exposed me to the resources that are available. And then when I came back here, it started my business. It gave me the opportunity to do my research and look up and, okay, we have the same resources, but I didn't know about that. So that it helped me with that type of perspective and also give me the larger game, like living in Houston. Okay. Here's some of the things that they do. So if we don't have this, let's bring that back to it. The, okay. Those type of things. It exposes you to a lot of different resources, a lot of different culture, different things like that. But a hundred percent, I would agree that living in different cities helped me, educated me on different things that are available out there. And if we don't have them here, then look for them and then go find them somewhere local like do like that. Okay. I want to hear a little bit about your job as a motivational speaker because okay. I'm anticipating my listeners hearing this and they're thinking, okay, the motivational speakers I've heard of are athletes right. who have name recognition and they get brought in to do a banquet mm-hmm. or people who have you know built a business or done something like that. And you're still young and, and you're starting your motivational speaking business sort of from the ground floor. And so I wonder what that looks like you know, jumping in with both feet without like drawing from a different career path right. that transitions into this. Okay. So tell me, tell me what that's like and how you do it. Okay. So working with the, uh, the sales company, I had a lot of experience putting myself out there. That's the first thing about being a motivational speaker, anything that you do, an entrepreneur, being an athlete, you have to put yourself out there. You got to get over that fear of what if this doesn't work? So working in sales, it taught me to take rejection very well because it's all a numbers game, right? So I work with that. And then I was fortunate enough to give uh, speeches as, uh, when I worked in sales also and do that. But starting from here and being it, all of this is reps. Anything that you do in life is all about reps. So the first thing that you got to know is 
Whatever you want to do, you just lock in with that and just got to do it. So if I'm being a speaker, what I need to be doing is I need to be giving as many speeches as possible. And it doesn't matter if they're paid speeches. It doesn't matter if they're free speeches. It's all about getting those reps because eventually you're going to get paid, right? You got to focus on the impact and you focus on the pay. Eric Thomas, they have a program. He talks about service over security, right? The number one thing that's important is the customer. You don't worry about the pay because if you're worrying about the pay, you're worrying about the wrong thing. Everything's going to be based off of money. And they always say, find something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. I love speaking to people. I love impacting people and I love it. So for me going to give a speech, I could do that all day, every single day. And I don't care what I get paid for it. I've been fortunate enough this year, just starting my LLC, being able to do paid speeches. I did athletic banquets. I talked to youth ministries. I talked to youth uh, football teams. I've also done, uh, I did a graduation here locally in Amarillo. But the thing about it is I always tell them the same thing. It was like, this is my starting price, but it doesn't matter. I'm still going to give the speech at the end of the day because I want to get those reps. I want to get my name out, building that portfolio. But if you start anything, it's all about getting your name out. So for me, being a motivational speaker, it's just all about getting reps. Every single day, what I focus on is just talking to people, talk, using, utilizing my connection with me being an athlete, talking to Coach Plum, getting to Tascos, or talking to all the other schools, right? It's talking to Coach Jackson at Caprock. Hey, can I come over here, give a speech? Starting with the athletes, because that's what I am as an athlete, but also knowing that there's a large game. I want to talk to the whole school. I want to talk to teachers, different things, but you just got to get your foot in the door. And like they say, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Mm -hmm. So who you know is going to get you in there, but what you know is going to get you to control the room. So that's really what I focus on. But building it up, it's all about reps, just making sure you're getting in front of people. So you feel comfortable being on stage, making sure that when you're on stage, it's not like, am I questioning myself? I know this is what I want to do, right? But it's like just getting comfortable, understanding the tonality, understanding the delivery, understanding how you're supposed to speak, how like controlling the audience, how you go body language, different things like that. It's lo- definitely a learned skill. It's 100%. not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. Even if you're a good talker, like how you deal with the audience, how you get them to follow you and yep. pay attention, like that's that's unique. 100%. And like I said, uh, a lot of that just came from being an 18-year-old talking to 30 to 60-year-olds inside of their house trying to sell them kitchen knives, right? <laughs> so you get a, like you get a lot of funny faces. I used to I was the corny knife joke, man. I would tell the corny knife, I would like tell them in the beginning like, "Hey, it's a bunch of corny knife jokes. I want to let you know." And they would be like, "Okay, okay. I get to it, tell a corny knife joke." So like learning how to read body language like even with an audience and being at South Plains, they teach you some cues to look for in people and things like that, but it's all about repetition. Like working to sell Help me out so much because rejection, learning how to talk to people, learning body language, understanding how to respond to people. But yeah, it's definitely learned. And it that's one thing that I'm grateful for because not a lot of people do it. You don't know how many people tell me this. Like, I could never do what you want to do. I could never do. I was so scared. And I'm mm-hmm. like, it's really, it's not that bad. But I've been doing it since like I was 18 years old. So for me, I'm like, okay, I understand. But it's just all about those reps, anything. And we've all seen public speakers who probably get paid tens of thousands of dollars because they're famous athletes or whatever, and they're not great public speakers. They've got a platform or a following, but don't necessarily have the skill level Mm -hmm. because that does take time to develop. 100%. Tell me me about the topics that you you talk about. Like, you know, a a school brings you in to talk to the student body or coaches want you to talk to a team. Like, what do you talk about? So the, the first thing is mindset. That's the number one thing. I don't care what I teach you. If your mindset isn't right, nothing else matters because you gotta teach the mind and the body will follow. So I always go over mindset. I have a formula that I call the success formula and there's four parts to it. You gotta believe, right? Number two, you gotta believe in yourself. And number three, you gotta work hard. Number four, you never give up. And if you answer those questions, how can you not be successful? 
Hmm. Right. So I always start at the top and I go to the bottom. So if you just talk about mindset, I try to train the mindset, but believing in yourself, working hard, never giving up and just coaching people like no matter what you do is how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you're lazy on the football field, you're going to be lazy in your entrepreneurship. You're going to be lazy in the business. You're going to be lazy in the job. Right. If you work hard on the field, you're going to work hard in life. And a lot of the analogies that I use are because I'm an athlete. A lot of things that some of my coaches have told me that stuck with me and I carry with me. But if I go to the school, usually I talk about the financial I try to talk about financial literacy drop that in there a little bit because that's what I'm passionate about but the number one thing I talk about is mindset because like me I went through a lot of things growing up as a kid but the way I battled with it I would go to school I love school I was social right I was always positive you would never know there was anything wrong with me because I was a positive person but in the inside I'm mad that my dad was incarcerated for like 10 plus years he wasn't really a part of my life I was fortunate to have a stepdad but it was always that like he's not my dad I want to have a connection and then being a junior everybody in the family was like you look just like your dad having the same name so it it used to be really frustrating so I just turned all of that I became a workaholic and I turned it into a passion like how many other kids are dealing with the same thing I'm dealing with, but they show it in a different way. Like they're getting in trouble. I didn't get in trouble in school because I always knew like what I'm trying to do is so much bigger. I need to like presentation itself is so huge. Like you can't be a motivational speaker getting in trouble all the time. You can come back from that. But like if I want to start building a successful brand, I got to have that positive presentation itself. So for me, it was just like being positive, knowing that there's something bigger in everything I'm going through right now. I always tell everybody, whatever you're going through right now, you're supposed to. Everybody tries to cheat the uh, the struggle. You can't because that's mm-hmm. where the struggle the struggle makes you. Like there's a quote that I always use every speech. It's like, have you seen the movie Nemo? Yeah. Okay. Right. So in Nemo, did they go around it or did they go through it? They went through it. Exactly. Just like in life. So you got to go through it to get to it. So I tell everybody the same thing. There's no way you can cheat it because when you go through that struggle, it's going to build you up as a person. It's going to let you know what you're ready to endure, how much you can endure. You got to survive that breaking point. So I always use that same analogy because everybody's seen the movie Nemo. They're like, oh, Nemo? Yeah. But that analogy right there is one of the biggest ones because it paints that picture. You're going to have to struggle. An entrepreneur, no matter what, because that struggle is supposed to build you up. And the prog- I focus on progress, not perfection. That's why I tell everybody is. a day is going to be so much bigger. Don't try to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. We all know that. And our society has such a big image on being perfect that it it messes with a lot of kids because if they're not perfect, then they don't want to do it. If you mess up, I'm the person, embrace those mistakes because it's not a mistake if you learn something from it. As long as you learn something from it, as long as you implement something from it, everything that I went through in my life, I take that on like, okay, I was supposed to go through that because what did I learn? And my mentality that really shifted was... Why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? What did, what did I do to deserve this? I changed that mentality and my whole life changed because I'm like, what am I supposed to learn from this? How am I supposed to grow from this? Because you got to find a silver light in every bad situation. So that's what I tell every every place that I go to, no matter what audience it is, always find the good in the bad situation. Tell me about the financial literacy aspect of it. Okay. Why is that something you're passionate about? Why is that something that you feel you're equipped you know, to talk about? So one, um, just watching, I was in the fourth grade and my mom, she, it was never amount of income, right? It was always the money habits. And I saw that I was like, we got enough money to be making our bill, like paying our bills and different things like that. But I lived in houses, no lights, no waters. We had car repossessed and stuff. I was in the fourth grade and I told my young sister, I was like, they just need to give me the money. Let me pay the bills and whatever we got left over. But you could see like from the beginning that you might make different decisions. hundred percent. So the lack of financial literacy in our household really just showed me it's like, 
it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. And I learned that at a really young age. And for me, it was really started with my siblings because I was like, a lot of things that we went through, I didn't want them to go through as well. So that's what started. And I was like, well, how many other kids are going through the same thing? So how many other things? So it started with that. But the reason I feel like I'm knowledgeable, educated enough, because working with the company, I was exposed to 1099. Know the difference between that. I yep. was exposed to investing. I was around a lot of millionaires during that time working in the company. And also I do a lot of research. I do a lot of reading and I do a lot of studying. I do. I love it because I learned that the problem is not the money that you have. It's the money that you don't keep. And everybody usually have the same thing. Work hard, pay my bills, and I'll be successful. Or work hard, save my money, and I'll be rich. And both of those things are myths because no matter how much money that you save, if you don't invest that money, you're not going to be rich. And for me, it was never about being rich. It was being financially free. I don't want to have to go to the store and look at my bank account, make sure I have enough money. I don't want to have to be on food stamp. We were on food stamp. I'm grateful for all those resources. But at the same time, it's like I was exposed to a different side and I knew like, okay, these people live like this. And I was 18 when I got exposed that lifestyle. So I was like, if I'm learning all this information, I want to take it back and teach other people who don't know. We could talk about bank accounts, checking, saving. We could talk about a Roth RA, all those conversations I was learning from 18 to 21. And I'm like, how many people don't know what this is? Like how I grew up, we don't talk about none of this stuff, right? You just want to make sure you have enough money to pay the bills. So once I got exposed to it, I was like, I got to teach other people this. And then right now there's such an uprising of financial literacy in uh, minority communities, low income families and different things like that. So I just see what's going on. I'm like, okay, I just do a lot of research. These are some of the things like how to repair credit, how to use credit, like being able to make yourself an authorized user. If your parents have a credit card, different things like that. These are some of the things that I picked up on. I'm like, nobody's talking about this. Yeah. Nobody's talking about that. And I think that's, I think that's so interesting because a lot of the time you have people who are, uh, let's say financial experts, or they're talking about, you know, money management and they're doing so from a position of wealth. You know, maybe they grew up well off and they were exposed to money at a young age or they become really successful doing what they do. And and you're able to come at it as someone who's still young, someone who grew up in poverty. I mean, if your lights were out, if you're mm-hmm. on food stamps, like that was the reality. Does does that give a little bit more weight, I think, to what you're saying? Because you're more accessible. You know, whether it's a black person or a white person talking about it, if they are you know, in this position of wealth already, it's hard to say, yeah, well, of course, it's easy for you. You've got all this money. Right. But you're coming at it from, you know, someone who's still young and, and early in your career. And I, I wonder if that's part of maybe the power that, that you have. Yeah, that's what I 100 percent. That's where the passion comes from, because it's more relatable. Right. I was around people and I was in that environment where people are trying to relate to me, talking about investing and stuff like I was grateful to be hearing the information. But I'm like, you don't understand how like what it takes, because we're talking about saving money for an office, saving money for different things. And I'm like, I got to help my mom all through college. I've been helping my mom uh, buy my younger siblings uh, clothes, helping her with her bills and different things like that. So saving money for an office is like you're going from being a breadwinner to being a person like, hey, can I can I, you got like twenty dollars? Like I'm working right now. I'm working every single day, but I'm not making enough money. So it, you learn the side of about being an entrepreneur, 100%, because that's part of the grind. But you also have to battle with that balance of like, this is some things they don't put into the equation because they don't realize like, like I'm not the only one. Like I'm the breadwinner. I was I wasn't the head of the household, but I was the one helping my mom with like making the most money. I'm the one who has the the money knowledge of like, okay, use this money right here, save this money, do this with that, budget and different things like that. That's one thing that I got taught when I worked for the marketing company was budgeting. So I learned how to do that effectively and 
I got to give credit to Toya High School because before I graduated high school, we had to take the Dave uh, Dave Ramsey Money Matters class. So okay. a lot of that started, a lot of the values and the core uh, things that I talk about started in my senior year because you took a whole semester of that, how to manage money, how to get out of debt, different things like that. So coming from my standpoint, I took a lot of his strategy. I don't agree with everything he says, but a lot of the tactics that he uses are helpful, like the snowball effect. Start with the small bills and build that up. But that's where a lot of it started at. And um Having that type of upbringing, being able to relate to people on an emotional level, on a resource level, that's where it gives me passion because I know people are still going through this actively because my family is still going through it actively. Yeah. All right. I want to I close up this section by asking one more question. And it's, you know, you have returned to Amarillo. You see the value. You found value in being based here in Amarillo, even though you've lived a bunch of other places. But you're still at the beginning of your career. Do you see Amarillo playing a role in what you do? Like, will you be here for a while? Do you see yourself eventually using this as a, a launch point and, and going someplace else? So uh, for me, it's definitely going to be a long term. Uh, I'll live. I won't always live in Amarillo, but I want to leave my mark in Amarillo. I'll always come back whenever I do seminars, no matter how successful that I get. I'll always come back and do seminars in the town because you got to start at home. That's the main thing. I can't go anywhere else until I have that home foundation. But being a part of Amarillo, just utilizing the network connection is helping me now uh, being a part of those different things because I've actually I found the resources here at home. So I know now I don't have to go to Houston to be able to be given a uh, motivational speaker. I don't have to go to Houston to connect with nonprofits and different things like that because all the resources that you need are here. It's all about accessing them and being intentional about going to go get them. Now, it's not easy, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by U.S. Cleaners, which has three locations in Amarillo and Canyon. This local business has been family owned for 30 years. In fact, back in June of this year, I interviewed Taylor Van Valkenburg about her family business on the podcast. Over the years, they've developed a very loyal and satisfied customer base. U.S. Cleaners offers pickup and delivery services, works hard to stay up to date with the latest technology, and cleans everything from clothing to uniforms, bedding, and tablecloths, residential or commercial. To learn more, visit uscleanersamarillo.com. That's uscleanersamarillo.com. Okay, I'm back with Ricky Johnson. Ricky, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes a set of Western lunchboxes based on TV Westerns from the 40s and 50s. Uh, these always remind me, I, I had a lunchbox when I was in elementary school in like the <laughs> late 70s, Gosh. early 80s, was <laughs> Star Wars and stuff. Okay. So I figured my lunchboxes will probably be in a museum at some point, uh. <laughs> like that history museum. Um, but that's a fun display. You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay. First question is, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, when you look into the future, what do you hope for? So for me, I hope for number one, a positive outlook, because with everything going on right now, everybody has a negative outlook on it. And they always look at like Amarillo, such a small, nothing's going on. It's crazy, different thing. But a lot of things that happen in our city happen in bigger city and they happen more frequently. A lot of people don't know that because they don't travel. So for me, I wish uh, I want the outlook to be more positive and have a positive outlook on there. And just, just be able to expose Amarillo for all the beautiful things that we have, the athletes, the entrepreneurs, the food that we have, all those different things type of things. But I just really want the perspective to change in 10 years from a negative perspective to a positive perspective. And like you said, that's a mindset issue, 100%, right? 100%. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? 
So this one right here is 100% Tune Totems. We have way too many Tune Totems. If we could replace some of the Tune Totems with some educational platform, I love Tune Totem, but we got way too many. It's like two on every block, at the end of every block. So I have to say Tune Totems. So instead of a convenience store on every corner, something a little bit more educational 100%. on every corner. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? Entertainment for the youth, okay. right? Because the same things that I was doing when I was growing up here, Skateplex, Bowling Alleys, Mr. Gaddy's, all those places are still the same thing. So yeah. we don't have a lot of entertainment that we have. So I feel like if you bring more entertainment here, it'll bring more positive because people, they got Cadillac Ranch and different things like that. But there's a couple places growing. It is, I give it, uh, I will give it credit. It is growing, right? But there's not a lot of entertainment for the youth in between seventh grade and the high school level. There's not a lot of entertainment for us. I'm thinking of the entertainment that has come to Amarillo, a place like Synergy. You know, right. it's out on the southwest side of town. Like, is, is there a geographical element to that? That, you know, if if you can drive 15 minutes across town, maybe there are some options there. But if you live on the east side of town, if you right. live on the north side of town, like, it's harder to get there. Right. Uh, Definitely 100%. Because if anybody's parents is like my parents, like, they're either going to drop you or they're going to pick you up. But they're not going to do both. Right? right. So if you can't get from there to there and from and back... There's definitely something that has to do with that because if there's really not a lot to do on that side, I mean, you have Wonderland, but everybody's been going to Wonderland. So as far as that, there's not a lot of building on that side that you can really utilize. So 100% I agree with that. Okay. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? So I always tell them the same thing. It's a small town because majority of the town that I've been through are a lot bigger, but it's a small town, loving community, but it's flat. You can see your neighbor's house. You can see all the way past there. When I went to Iowa, it was totally, it was totally different like that. So I was like, it's flat, but it's also a loving town. I was like, it's home and there's a lot of people that will support you, different things like that, but it's flat town, yellow city, but it's, it's growing. I always say it's growing. It's a lot of flat land, a lot of uh, land to grow on. That's what yeah, I say. That's, that's absolutely <laughs> true. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? So my favorite street would definitely have to be on the north side. It's going to be in between Hughes and 18th. 18th would be the one. Okay. 100%. Why that one? Because uh, my uncle, he actually owns a restaurant, North Heights Discount, and that's my favorite food spot. I'm a foodie. Everywhere I traveled, I always uh, tried out the food because it, you got to know if you can survive there. It's all about survival. If I like the food, I can live here. That's the number one thing. So that's what kept me here. I know I can find some good food. So I usually go there Saturdays. That's when you get the ribs, macaroni yeah. and cheese. So it has to be 18th Street, 100%. That's North Heights Discount is one of those really underrated places. I, I think people might see it and, and think, oh, that you know, looks like a convenience store. 100%. You know, I'm not going to find great fruit, food in a convenience store, but like they're wrong. I mean, mm -hmm. there's there's some amazing food there. It's like going to like Florida and going to a bodega. That's our own personal bodega. A lot of people don't know what that is. Go to Florida. Check it out. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite local restaurant? North Heights Discount. Okay. I figured that was coming, but I was yes, going to ask that one anyway. What, what do you get there? I mean, what's your favorite? Um, so I usually either get the ribs or I get the wingettes. They already know. And when I go in there, I'm only getting one side, double mac. I got to get double mac and okay. cheese. Uh, he recently got snow cones in there, but I usually get double mac and I get some of the Kool-Aid, but that's pretty much it. And then banana pudding. That's all. That's, all that's right. my route. The same thing every time. I've not had the banana pudding there. Oh man, you got to get it. You got to okay. get it. Okay. What's your favorite coffee shop? Palace Coffee. All right. Yep. Pal and there's three of them, so I got to be specific. The one on Georgia, that's my favorite one. Okay. Whenever I signed my LLC, I met on the one on Coulter with uh, Helen, Helping Hands. That's who did me all the LLC. But the one on Georgia, I go there so often. Their parking is a little bit better, and they have a bar in the background, so they stay open a little bit later than the yeah. other two because one is downtown, and the other one is on off of Coulter by TJ Maxx. So I would have to say Palace Coffee on Georgia because the environment is a working environment, but it's also a welcoming environment. All right. And when was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? 
Uh, it was my senior year. That was our senior trip. So we All went right. up there. Yeah. From Toya. Then. Yep, from Toya. We came up here and uh, we went zip line and we hiked a little bit. But 100% uh, before that, it was eighth grade year. So I went... And all those years, but I've only been two times, honestly. Okay. Yeah. How was that zipline? I've never been on it. It was fun. Actually, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the view. Oh, we had my my math teacher. She was there. She's man, she's crazy. But it was definitely fun. Uh, that's the only place I've been ziplining. I'm an adrenaline junkie, so it got me like, okay, I like this. I got to do it on a higher level. But it was for Amarillo. It, it definitely okay. was a like a great experience. I've ziplined in other places, but I've never done it. Oh, yeah, there, you definitely, yeah, so. definitely try it. Definitely try it. All right, uh, Ricky. That concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something so what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience uh, i'll have to say 100 percent the north side toy drive and the right. reason why is because it does it, it impacts the community something that i'm really passionate about but it also gives everybody opportunity to dress up right they get to dress up their nicest part their sunday's best as we will mm -hmm. call it and you get to go give something not only do you feel good you also feel good because you're giving back to the community and it just helps so many people just whatever they're going through that that during the holidays or anything like that you get to take a break from that and you get to enjoy yourself at the drive and you also get to enjoy yourself at the banquet so i love that and the way they set it up and everything like that but i would have to say the north side tour okay. drive. around christmas every year yes December. sir it's been around for a long time yeah. and it's something that i'm looking forward to being involved in myself and just helping out the community, just being a part of that. All right. Ricky Johnson, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Ricky for the interview. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and also to sponsors Wick Realty, U.S. Cleaners, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you. So thank you so much for listening. And also because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 263. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>